Good morning. It's always a joy to be with you. And uh, as I am going to be with you this week and the next, and then the two times in December, I'm going to lead us through the book of Ruth. Uh, the book of Ruth, which is uh, a beautiful book that you can find uh, in your Bible in between Judges and the books of First and Second Samuel, which is the, the perfect place to put it because it, it helps us to see the transition that God does for his people from the book of Judges where there was no king to the place in First and Second Samuel where we find out who the king will be. But as you're turning to Ruth 1, um, one of the things that the book of Ruth teaches us is about the importance of turns. In fact, in the chapter that we're going to look at today, Ruth chapter 1, the author uses the Hebrew verb for turn 11 times. And so if you were hearing this in Hebrew, it would jump out at you that, okay, this author is wanting me to see that there's a turn here that I should see, a turn here that's important. And it's important to be able to see the turns that you need to make. And I know this from experience. One time it was my job when I was a student in college to tell everyone in our Christian fellowship how to get to the retreat center. And this was before GPSs were around, I'm that old. And so I was writing out the directions for everyone to send it out to them so that they would know the right way. And so I was picturing the route because I'd gone it multiple times. I was picturing the route and telling them the different turns that need, needed to make. And when we got to the conference, it was me and no one else was there. And I was trying to figure out why. And then I looked at the directions and realized. You see, there is this one road where you go over the road underneath it. And then it has one of those loops that brings you back around and puts you onto the next road. But in my mind, as I was picturing it, I thought we needed to turn left. But because of that loop, you actually had to turn right. And so everybody was late for the conference. They missed the turn. And the reason that they missed the turn is because I was thinking of the directions from my perspective, as opposed from the perspective of reality. In the book of Ruth, we see that that is the problem that God addresses. The way that people are missing the turn that they need to make because they're viewing life from their perspective as opposed from the true perspective from his perspective and today as we reflect upon it we're going to reflect on it with that lens and this outline missing god missing god but now let's turn our attention to god's word as we look at ruth chapter one i'm going to read for us the entire chapter this is god's word in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Melon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years. And both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons 
and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each one of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this very night and should bear sons, would you wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. The woman said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full. The Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let us pause and ask for his help to understand it. Father, we thank you that we come to your word and to know that it is food that feeds us spiritually and that we cannot live just on bread alone, but that we need to feed upon you through your word. And we pray that we would experience the spiritual nourishment that comes through its powerful presence in our life. For Jesus' sake, amen. First, missing. In this passage that happens between the book of Judges and 1st and 2nd Samuel, the author wants you to understand what the people in the book of Judges were missing, which is why he starts, or she, starts off with the phrase, in the days when the judges ruled. You see, the author is bringing your attention to the fact that the context of the book of Ruth is the book of Judges. 
And if you have any familiarity with the book of Judges, you know that it's a series of stories of, of people like Ehud and Gideon and Samson, who were these judges given by God so that when the people of Israel had fallen under the power of other nations, these judges would come and would redeem them, would bring them back to be safe and secure with God again. But why is it that there is always these problems that were coming to the people in the book of Judges? It's because throughout the book of Judges, the people of Israel who were living in the promised land kept turning away from the God who had been good to them and began to worship the gods of the people that were around them. They turned from the God who had brought them to the promised land and began worshiping other gods. And throughout the book of Judges, there's this refrain that happens that Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Throughout the book, you see the way that the people of Israel, instead of turning towards God in faith and obedience, turned away from God. And that's another refrain of the book of Judges, that everyone did what is right in their own eyes. So throughout the book of Judges, there's a problem with what people are seeing or not seeing. That the people of Israel were seeing the situation and they were saying that the thing that makes the most sense in light of our circumstances is not to trust in God, to follow him, but to turn our own way, to do what is right and wise in our own eyes, not to trust the God who has been faithful to us in the past, but to trust our own wisdom, our own sight. And so they would go their own way. And God saw this turning away from him as evil. And so he wanted them to see the emptiness of what they were doing. He wanted them to see the failures that they were embracing by turning away from him. So he would allow them to experience consequences for their sins until they came to realize the emptiness that was there. And so they would turn back in repentance, turn back to him, and he would redeem them and he would rescue them. And at the very end of the book of Judges, if you look, it may be right there in front of you. At the end of the book of Judges, you have that common refrain that everyone does what is right in their own eyes, but there's an addition to it, isn't there? The addition to this is that there was no king in Israel. The end of the book of Judges says that the people were missing a king. They were missing someone that could keep them from this constant problem of turning away from God. They needed someone to rule over them so that they would be faithful and obedient to their God. They needed someone who would be with them to protect them from these enemies so that God didn't have to keep raising up these judges. They needed a king, and they were missing one. And in that context comes the book of Ruth. And it starts out in verse 1 saying, In the days when the judges ruled, when there was no king, what do we hear? There was a famine in the land. A famine in the land. So what does that tell us? That this is one of those seasons where because the people of Israel had been unfaithful, there's some judgment coming onto the land. They were hungry in their bellies because God was showing them the emptiness of their choices. And an interesting thing that we see throughout the book of Ruth and really throughout the Bible is the use of irony as a way for God to speak. Often the way that God speaks to us is ironically, and he will use ironic judgment to help us to put pieces together. So this famine that happens to be in the land is described in the context of the city of Bethlehem. Now you may know Bethlehem from, of course, the place that Jesus was born, but do you know what the name Bethlehem means? House of bread. 
house of bread. Isn't that ironic? Here they are, this house of bread, and yet they have no bread. They're starving. There's a famine in the land. And the author uses this to help us to understand the irony that here they're supposed to be in the promised land, a place where God had provided for them in the wilderness, and here they are in the place of milk and honey, and they could name the, the city that they're living in, the house of bread, because they would presume that God would be continually good to them, but yet they were starving. They were starving. There was a famine in the land. But not only that, there's another name that strikes us. It describes this man and his wife and his two sons, and it gives us the name of the man. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of the man was Elimelech. Do you know what that name means? God is king. Here again, we see another irony that is laid out for us, that here is this man who should believe, and his name was put upon him so that he would have that belief that God is king. But yet, what does he do in this passage? He, he takes up his family and he leaves the promised land. He leaves God's people to go to Moab. And that would be like me in the midst of a recession saying, I think I'm going to move to North Korea. It seems like things are going well there. That's what it would be like for an Israelite to hear that this guy whose name is God is king is going to live with the Moabites. These are the enemies. These are the, the bad guys. How ironic that, that he whose name says God is king is leaving the kingdom. And the author is wanting us to see in these names the irony of what is happening. We even see it in the names of the sons. Malon, which means sickness, and Kilion, which means wasting away. These two boys, which were supposed to be your hope, your strength. You had sons as a, a sign of your strength and your future. They were given names of despair, sickness, wasting away. And the most clear irony with names in this passage comes with Naomi, whose name means pleasantness. But by the end of the passage, what does she say? She says, call me Mara, the word for bitterness. Call me Mara, because God has dealt bitterly with me. You see, the author is using names in this passage to, to help us get to the point that these people were missing the character of God because they were viewing God through the lens of their circumstances. They were missing the character of God because they were viewing God through the lens of their circumstances. You see, in a sense, that's always the heartbeat of sin, isn't it? The heartbeat of sin is always when we look at our circumstances and say, God is not being good here, so I have to go my own way. Because God isn't providing for me, I have to provide for myself. Because God isn't giving me the glory that I need in him, I have to find the glory I need in my own way. Because God's truth is offensive to me, I have to find a truth that appeals to me. All of sin comes from us 
looking at our circumstances and judging God and going our own way. That's what the book of Judges shows again and again. The people says, in these circumstances, we'll turn away from God and turn to ourself. We can't trust him. But what the author of the book of Ruth wants us to see, the author of the book of Ruth wants us to see that the proper way to see God is not by judging him based on our circumstances, but by judging our circumstances based on him, by viewing through the lens of his character the circumstances that God invites us to be in. And so we see this in the context of Naomi, who views her life as one of bitterness. But throughout this passage is a sense of irony, that even though she thinks that God is being bitter to her, treating her bitterly, what we actually see is the beginning of a beautiful story of God's grace a beautiful story of God's redemption, a beautiful story of God's kindness. But we, as the reader, know that that's what's happening. But Naomi, because of the way she's judging God, misses it. She misses the miracle of God's kindness when it is right in front of her. We see this in the way that she responds to Ruth. Ruth, this daughter who is a, Mo, a daughter-in-law who is a Moabitess, loves Naomi. Both of the daughter-in-laws love Naomi. Perhaps they really saw her as pleasant, like her name implies. They, they both wanted to cling to her, hold on to her, be with her. But what does Naomi say? She says, don't stay with me. And she's being wise in a sense. She knows that as she is a widow, she has no property, no money, no power in this patriarchal society. She knows that she cannot provide for them or protect them. She doesn't want to put them in a place where they will be harmed or hurt. She doesn't have the ability to take responsibility for them. So she says, go back to your own people. Go back and find husbands. Find the security that you need. Don't stick with me. I can't provide for you. But she also, in that way, is turning them back to their own God. And by encouraging them to go back to their own God, she's really saying that I don't believe that I can provide for you and I don't believe that my God will provide for you either. And there we get a window into Naomi's heart that she's learned to judge God with a sense of bitterness. And so she views him cynically. He's not a God who provides. He's not a God who is good. He's a God that treats people bitterly. And Orpah and Ruth, I don't want you to know that God. Go back to your gods. Find joy with your own husbands. Don't follow after me. But God, God doesn't want that to be the taste that is left in Naomi's life a taste of bitterness. And so he puts into Naomi's life, Ruth. Ruth, this Moabitess. Ruth, this Moabitess who, despite the encouragement of her mother-in-law to go home, clings to her and will not go home, will not turn away. 
she responds to Ruth saying, no. And look in particular at the way that she responds. Ruth says this in verse 16. Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. It's such a beautiful commitment that Ruth is making. It's so beautiful that it's often used in wedding ceremonies to this day, a way for a husband or a wife to proclaim their desire to be faithful in love and care. And isn't that what you want in hard circumstances like what Naomi was in? Someone who says, no matter what, thick or thin, I'm going to be right there with you. And even at the end, I'm committing myself to death to be with you. What a beautiful gift Ruth holds out to Naomi. But how does Naomi respond? The text kind of coldly says this. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. It wasn't like Naomi embraced her back with with tears and hugs and thankfulness, saying, oh, I'm thankful to have someone who's going to be with me in this trial. She just responds with silence. Doesn't that give you a window into Naomi's heart? How she views everything with that sense of cynicism and bitterness because she's learned to judge God based on her circumstances, even when there's this beautiful gift right there in front of her of Ruth faithfully saying, I'm going to be with her. She misses it. And God is giving her such a clear sign of his working because in this society, things like this don't happen. In this society, in this culture, people don't convert. One scholar says this about the idea of conversion in ancient world. He says, the ancient world had no mechanism for religious conversions, just as it has no mechanisms for changing citizenship, because those things were unthinkable. Religion and peoplehood defined your identity, and your ethnic identity could not be changed any more than you could change the color of your skin. In this culture, to see someone change religion was unthinkable. To see someone like Ruth, who was a Moabitess, say, I want to be an Israelite, was unthinkable. It was something that would surprise. It would be something that would be a clear sign that God was doing a work. There was a miracle right in front of Naomi, and she missed it. And even Ruth's language should have given her a window that this is something that God was doing. It isn't just even a sign of someone who's being kind and friendly, because the language that Ruth uses is particular language. She's quoting scripture. When she talks about your people will be my people and your God my God, that should be familiar to our ears, because that's what God often says to the Israelites. You will be my people, and I will be your God. You see, Ruth is quoting scripture to Naomi. 
And there she's giving Naomi a window that God has done something to me. He has changed me. And his character is now how I view my life. And I want to be like him. Just as he says to us that you who are not my people are now my people. You who did not have me as your God now have me as my God. I'm saying that to you too. Ruth is showing Naomi that she has been transformed by God. She has been converted from darkness into light. She's been brought in to the people of God so that she is now demonstrating the character of God to Naomi. And just as God is a faithful God, she wanted to be faithful to Naomi. Just as God is a God of love, she wants to love Naomi. Just as God says to his people, I will always be your God. So too Ruth is saying, I will always be with you. God is giving in Naomi a perfect reflection of his character in the statement of Ruth. But she misses it. She misses it. And we, too, so often miss God's goodness when it is right in front of us. Because the way that we naturally view the world is always judging God by our circumstances instead of judging our circumstances by God. And the ironic thing is is that the more that we judge God based on our circumstances, We think that we're being wise, but in actuality, we are being like Naomi, blind. We are blinding ourselves to seeing the way that God is at work. We are blinding ourselves to seeing God's goodness. We are blinding ourselves to his truth. The more that we judge God by the wisdom of our own eyes, the more blind that we are. And the author of Ruth is wanting us to see the blindness of Naomi because she's missing what God is doing, because she's judged his character as opposed to trusting his goodness. But Naomi is just like us. That's what we do. We judge God based on the question, what have you done for me lately? And so we miss his love right in front of us. But what does the Apostle John tell us is the way that we see God's love? God shows his love for us in this by giving us a full 401k. Is that what John says? God shows his love for us in this by keeping us from any sort of problem with our car, by keeping us from suffering. But God shows his love for us by helping our political party to win. Now, what does the Apostle John say? God shows his love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And what the Apostle John there is saying is that the way that we always know God is looking at his character. And the way that his character is always seen in the cross. God always speaks through irony, and there's no greater irony than the cross. There's no greater irony than the cross, that that while we were sinners, 
while we had turned away from God, what does God do? He turns towards us. And isn't that what we see in Naomi? <laughs> she turned away from God. They went to a far country to try to find pleasure and joy and fulfillment. And it didn't satisfy. But God hadn't turned away from them. He allowed it not to satisfy in Moab to bring them back to him, to turn them back to him, to turn them back to his faithfulness so that when they come back, they would receive redemption. God speaks through irony. This is what Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians when he speaks of the word of the cross as folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You see, we must always judge our circumstances through what the world sees as folly. But God sees as wisdom through his character as it's seen clearly in the cross. The only right way to view the world is, sorry for the pun, cross-eyed. That's the only right way to view the world. To view the world through the ironic lens of the cross. To not judge God based on our circumstances, but to judge our circumstances based on our character, his character, as we see clearly in Jesus. And that's what we're going to see develop in the book of Ruth, is the way that when Naomi thought that God was bitter, he had been sweet. When Naomi thought that God was emptying her out, he was preparing her to be full. When Naomi thought that God had robbed her of what she needed in life, sons, we find at the end of the book of Ruth, her calling Ruth better than seven sons, better than a multitude of sons. The book of Ruth is a story of redemption, a story of irony, a story that points us to the cross, that we try to run away from God, but even when we are in Moab, even when we are sinning, God is thinking, how will I turn them back to me? We turn away, but God turns towards us. Isn't this what Isaiah says when he says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But what does the Lord do? The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God sees our turning away and he responds with kindness. And God's kindness is meant to lead to our repentance, Paul says. And what is repentance? Turning to him. We turn away, God turns to us. And when we see that, that causes us to see there's emptiness here, there's famine here, but there's fullness there. Our sin is us trying to fill ourselves up, but God in his ironic kindness never lets it. Your sin will never fill you up. It'll always leave you empty. And that's God's kindness because he's wanting you to turn back to him and find in him the fullness that you need. And how does he give you the fullness that you need? It's through his son who empties himself out that you may be full. 
we seek sin, we find emptiness. He makes himself empty so that we can be full in him. That is the nature of God. And when we see that kindness, that is what leads us to repentance. We miss God's work when we avoid repentance, turning to him. Like Naomi, we assume he's being bad to us when he's really inviting us into fullness, to know him more. And this is the beautiful thing about the story of Ruth that we're going to see over the next times that I come, that throughout this story, God is giving Naomi more than she could imagine. She had a husband whose name is God is King, living in a land that was waiting for a king to restore them. And the way they responded by was going away from the kingdom. But God used her unfaithfulness to be a part of his faithfulness. And through the line of Elimelech, whose name God is my king, would one day become Jesus. The king born in Bethlehem, who was God. Isn't that ironic? Their unfaithfulness and running away from God is the very way that God shows his faithfulness to the cries of the people to give them a true king would teach them to live and follow after God fully. And the way that he gives us this king is in the person of Jesus, God becoming flesh, born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, the one who says, I am the bread of life, so that through him we can receive fullness, through him we can be fed. But how are we fed through this bread of life? Through him being broken for us through him experiencing the famine of God's goodness on the cross so that you and I would be saved from his breaking, from his having the iniquity laid on him that we deserve for our turning away. That's the beautiful turn of the irony of God's work of redemption. That he doesn't want us to be empty. He wants us to be full. And he'll always allow us to experience emptiness so that we can turn to him and find in him the fullness that only he can give. The bread of life broken for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and love that you give to us and the way that it invites us into a fullness in your love. Help us to taste and see that you are good. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.